Hello everyone and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you all for joining. Sales outreach is evolving. A simple cold call or cold email doesn't seem to cut it nowadays. Yes, they still work if your script is fantastic, but brands need to be creative to grab the potential customer's attention. This is where today's guest, Chris Rudigrop, steps in. A few years ago, Chris and his co-founder Braden noticed a universal dilemma. Consumers and companies alike were drowning in digital noise. Cold emails went unopened, emails were unanswered, apps got deleted, and ads were ignored. Companies struggled to find innovative ways to rise above the noise and build more meaningful relationships. So they started sending direct mail and corporate gifts to get on people's desks, not just their inboxes. And it worked. But scaling this strategy would be nearly impossible. So they set out on a mission to build the world's first sending platform, a comprehensive solution for sourcing, storing, shipping, and measuring ROI for anything a business ever needs to send their company Sendoso was born. Chris and I discuss all things outreach, how brands and individuals can set themselves apart from their competition. We also delve into the details of fundraising, a topic yet to be explored on the podcast, and we also talk about the processes behind scaling a team and the operations to keep up with the exponential growth of the company. I can't wait for you to hear what Chris has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. I cannot wait for you to listen to today's show because we have Chris Rudigrup on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. The pleasure is all mine. Can't wait to hear a little bit, little bit more about your journey and what you do. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please? Of course. Yeah. So I'm Chris Rudigrup, the CEO and co-founder of Sendoso. And for those of you who haven't heard of Sendoso, we are a sending platform that makes sending out direct mail, corporate gifts, handwritten notes, swag, you name it. Uh, We make it easy to send out by way of offering a software platform that integrates into your tech stack and then having global warehouses where we do all the sourcing, storage, and fulfillment. So it's a, a fun way to uh, you know, combine the offline and the online world, and it also creates uh, opportunities for sales and marketing, customer success teams, HR teams, to uh, engage with prospects or customers or employees in, in new meaningful ways and, and build relationships better. Awesome. I cannot wait to dive into that more because it's one of... So I had a couple of weeks back, I had a guy on the podcast who had alternative outreach methods single, similar to you, but his were more direct mail opposed to so like switching up the way you would reach out to customers in the fact that you would send your outreach in the form of say like a burnt letter that it looked like it had traveled a while so so when interesting got more of an experience around it but you're yes. actually sending physical products so this is completely new and another aspect so i can't wait to talk about it more but first i'd like to talk about your childhood and specifically your time at school so let's focus on a, let's say, 14-year-old version of yourself. How were you in school okay. around that time? Were you the class clown? Were you straight-A student? Or did you just cruise by and get done what you needed to get done to get the grades and pass? Yeah, so I, I, I guess 14, I was, I think that's what, middle school? Um, mm. So uh, I was a pretty good student. I think 
through all of grade school, even through college, I was probably like 3.5 GPA. So not like top of the class, but not, you know, a goof off. Um, I'd say that, you know, I was lucky enough that I think stuff came relatively easy for me in the sense of I could study quickly and I could pass tests and I could kind of know what you needed to do to get good grades. But I wasn't someone who like, you know, spent all day every day studying. Um, Yeah. So. I like to think I got kind of lucky in terms of being able to uh, do well in school. So but some, I did um, do a lot of extracurricular activities that maybe led to my uh, entrepreneurship. Um, looking back on things, I always remembered uh, probably around that time, actually, my my neighbor and I would uh, go around to our neighborhood and uh, get mistletoe out of trees and then through for the... Christmas season, we would sell it on our, our corner and we were like five minutes away from a Christmas tree farm. So, uh, you know, I don't, I think things like that kind of help develop you as a future adult. And so some of those yeah. little side hustles, um, you know, probably help make me who I am today. For sure. Like uh, trying to earn like a little bit of money on the side yourself so you can buy your own things as a kid yeah. rather than opposed to going to your parents and begging them for money for them to only say no somehow make it yourself so exactly especially with video games too is my parents would never want to buy them for me but if i had my own money they'd be fine with me buying it so yes like (laughs) forever over here we have it called we have fifa the football game and that was my one every year and it's like i want it i want it every year find a way to get it yourself find a way to get it yourself and you can have it so i know i know the pain of the (laughs) wanting the new video game so as a kid did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur and end up well you don't i suppose you don't have to be an entrepreneur as not defined as always being a solopreneur and working for yourself you can still be entrepreneurial with a job but did you always know that you were going to end up working for yourself uh i don't think so no um i mean entrepreneurship didn't run in the family my uh, my neither of my parents were business owners or entrepreneurs or even worked for entrepreneurial related companies. I mean, my my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad worked for uh, the city, um, so he was more of like a government employee. Um, so that's probably the op- most opposite of <laughs> entrepreneurship, and uh, you can be. But uh, yeah, I think I was always fascinated uh, by kind of Silicon Valley through. I guess, um, high school and going into college. Um, and so I think that helped dro- drove me to entrepreneurship being that sure. I grew up like, uh, an hour North of Silicon Valley. For sure. So you didn't go straight into starting Sendoso straight out of college, did you? You did a fair, you did a few jobs before you actually ended up starting it. So tell us a little bit about those and then how Sendoso came to fruition. Yeah, so that is correct. It's probably been about 10 years or more, 15 years since I graduated uh, university. Uh, But I did have a a company that I did start while I was uh, in college. Um, And so the university, uh, I was actually one of the first companies that got funding from the Center for Entrepreneurship. I was actually the first one and it was just started while I was uh, a senior. Um, And so that gave me a, a good first taste of a, you know, a software company? How do you work with engineers? How do you develop products? How do you grow a sales team? Um, Gave me a good taste. We only got to about 10 employees and then we ended up selling the company, but that helped me move to San Francisco. And I think 
it was a great experience, although I, I felt like I really didn't know what I didn't know at that stage. And it was for me better to learn from other entrepreneurs and see how companies develop. I think, you know, you only learn so much in college, you know, but if you, you know, it, as long as you jump, you're always kind of in the learning mindset. That was a good way for me out of college to see what other entrepreneurs were doing. Yeah, for sure. So Sendoso itself, where did that idea come about? Where did you notice that gap in the market? Yeah, so you know, I, I spent about eight years at various software companies, mostly in sales roles. So the last company I was at, I was an account executive, uh, which is basically an inside sales rep. I was selling software, I had a quota, I had to get meetings. Um, and so a couple of things happened there. One is, you know, I was trying to look at creative ways to reach out to new prospects or customers that just signed up. And so I was starting to write handwritten notes. I was starting to find gifts uh, that I could send out as thank yous. I was going into our company swag closet and grabbing swag. So it was a lot of manual stuff. Um, There's also a time where marketing would ask us if we wanted stuff sent out, but we had to fill out a spreadsheet and copy and paste data from Salesforce. Um, so some of those things got me thinking. Um, there, why isn't there a platform that allows you to click and send things out? Um, and so, you know, the first version of... Uh, of Sendoso is actually called Coffee Sender. It's actually just a, a Salesforce app to send Starbucks e-gift cards. Um, super basic, but enough that I could conceptualize it and build it in a couple months. Kind of like an MVP, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, that's kept caught on a little bit, but it was really the, the fact that I saw a need in the market and I felt that pain point firsthand around needing a platform to send out more physical, um, tangible items as part of my sales process that I saw a need to start a company around it. For sure. So with the first like original items, then were they sort of just like pencils and pens and notebooks? Or did you start big and just go, well, whatever people want to send, I'll send it? Yeah, the latter. It was whatever people wanted to send, we'll send it. We'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> For sure. So how difficult was that to scale originally then? Because I suppose if you were sending the products out, you had to have the warehouse space to house them. Uh, so how did it all work to begin with? Yeah, so that was, a, you know, even just having a software company, it's hard enough to scale that up. But mm. we had both the software company that we were scaling up as well as the warehouses. So that was uh, tricky in the early days of how much warehouse space should we have? How do we scale out the operations? How do we uh, onboard new customers and kind of prepare for the future? So, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a tricky part of the early days. And how do we do that? Yeah, so... I suppose you had to scale with team, like building your team out as well, because you've grown pretty quickly. So yeah. how quick have you been able to hire these staff to, cre to keep up with this increasing demand? And how do you select these people? Because they must have to be onboarded so often. Yeah. So we have, uh, in the last couple of years, uh, well, we went to market in, at the end of 2017. So it's been about two years, two and a half years. Um, we have about 200 full-time people at our corporate offices. And wow. then we have hundreds of people at our warehouses. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, that number that our warehouses fluctuates based on kind of uh, flexible workforce for more uh, spikes. But yeah, there's, uh, it's been quite the... Uh, quite the, the challenge and opportunity to keep up with, with hiring demands. Um, I think that's uh, really one of the things that I've gotten good at is hiring. 
Um, and I think part of my sales skills in the past have helped me really look at how do I, you know, uh, now I'm not, not necessarily selling a product. I'm selling the company and the vision of the company to new hires. And, um, I'm also really passionate about growing a team and really finding the best people to join the team. So I spend a lot of my time hiring now too. See, that's incredible. You're, so you're just like three years, is it even three years? What, depending on where you act when Tommy actually started, you're hardly into this. Like you're three yeah. years and you have a team of over 300 people if you include your warehouse staff. That's incredible growth. Has it been overwhelming or have you been able to like deal with it quite well? Um, I don't think it's been overwhelming. I think there's been areas where I'm, uh, I see people in the elevator and they're like, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not sure who they are off, yeah. the, off the bat because they're, they're just so brand new. And we also mm. have a, off, a few different uh, corporate offices too. So when I visit a new office, um, but I try to do things around, you know, for all new hiring classes, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance to speak with people. Um, I do this like random uh, ask Chris anything weekly um, kind of face-to-face or Zoom meeting with about a half a dozen people each week. So it kind of randomly connects me with random employees. Yeah. So I get to have, you know, uh, random conversations with, with people. Um, even, even people that have, you know, some of the first employees have now been here for, you know, two plus years. So it's good to continue to keep, um, you know, a pace and, and keep in mind what their thoughts are and stuff. So, yeah. So with, cause with the, terms of the fulfillment process and things it's it sort of reminds me of the way amazon works almost and that with their fulfillment centers so can say if i ran my own company can i order corporate gifts and get you to warehouse them and send them out here and then or is it i have to pick from a stock list no you can do this what you first said so you can we allow our customers to pick out what they want or you can mm. tell us what you want or we can make, make something from uh, order stuff from the thousands of vendors in our vendor network and the tens of thousands of products that we could help you uh, source and fulfill. Because so you're really also, flexible. Yeah. Because you also have like handwritten notes as well, don't you? With that are actually handwritten. They're not, ha- they're not printed, they're written. So with, in yep. terms of personalization, it looks like it's come straight from, say, I'm the business owner trying to onboard someone from myself to that individual. I think that's yeah, a great precisely. Yeah, all of our warehouse fulfillment centers around the world all have hand riders in it. In some cases, on a busy day, we might have 50 full-time riders at one of our warehouses. Um, so it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite the process, but it really adds that touch to make that feel more genuine. Um, and it, it, it takes the extra time. For sure. But I think it's, it does add that as you say that touch and if you are going to be the receiver of that product having a handwritten letter does definitely make a difference it it looks like it's extra care and effort as you say exactly something i haven't spoken about on the podcast is funding and so how Mm -hmm. as a company did you go about getting funding and what was the key things you had to consider when having people invest in the company and what did the money you raised actually allow you to do? Yeah. So we've raised about 55 million in funding over the course of a few different rounds. So, uh, you know, it was interesting in the early days I I thought, Hey, I want to self fund this um, and we'll bootstrap it. Um, And, you know, so our first maybe 
10 employees were really hired uh, after we had enough customers that could kind of cover the costs of paying them. Uh, that became a really tricky situation in the early days because you we had uh, more demand than we could handle. So sales were bringing on more people and we needed success and we needed engineers to keep building stuff. So it was a, a really kind of a, a catch-22 in the early days. So we really saw this opportunity. Let's take funding uh, um, and let's be able to grow faster. Um, and I think that's main, the main reason why companies grow, take funding is so they can grow much, much faster. And so that was yeah. our case. So we, we did a initial, we did a, little, a, a few angels in a convertible note that was around half a million. And then we did a 2 million seed round. Um, and then about a year from that, we did a 11 million series A. And then uh, about a year from that, we did a, a 40 million series B. So for those who don't, for the listeners that don't know much about funding in itself, would you mind just sort of going through the process of how you actually approach these investors and get them on board with what you're doing? Sure. So it's partial, depending on where you're at in your business lifecycle or your, or your traction or uh, some things. Um, sometimes you are reaching out to investors. Sometimes they're reaching out to you. Um, you know, oftentimes you're getting connected through mutual connections. Um, that's typically the best way um, in my eyes. So our, our first seed investor was a introduction from my last CEO at my last company. So he introduced me there. So that made that introduction more authentic and we were able to then uh, pitch to them. Typically you'll have a pitch deck, maybe 10 slides talking about your business, the problem, the solution, the market, the team, you know, revenue model, all those things. Um, and then, um, you know, it's really kind of a numbers game of, you know, how many people do you want to talk to? And then, you know, which is the final one that you want to go with? And sometimes it's more than one. You know, I think we have uh, each round, there's been more investors added. So, you know, it's typically a lead investor. And then there's, you know, could be a few, could be a half dozen um, follow-on investors that also invest. Um, but yeah, I think it's a combination of um, building a good network, building a really good product. Uh, for our Series B, we, we had some uh, inbound from a lot of our product uh, customers talking yeah. to their networks and hearing in the market that, oh, um, you know, we love Sendoso. This is a great product. And so that sparks the investor's ears. And they'll, they'll sometimes see that through, you know, re reviews on kind of review sites like G2 or seeing a, an influx in, in LinkedIn of employees. And, and you know, they, they've got their own secret formulas where they're trying to find you. For sure. So, and I, th I think that's really interesting because people chuck around the words like funding and angel investors and everyone just sort of thinks, Oh yeah, funding, cool. It's funding. But I don't think people ever actually ask or find out about how it actually works. Yeah. So it's a, it's I mean, it's a couple month process and it's, you know, starts from a, just a conversation over coffee and then leads to, you know, probably two to three more in-person meetings with the right people and usually sharing, you know, a slide deck. Then it goes into, you know, oftentimes due diligence, which is now you're sharing them, uh, you know, spreadsheets and, you know, customer lists or, or um, you know, uh, all these other things that they may be interested in looking at. So it's a, it could be a couple month process. No, oh, yeah. And, and it's, as, as you say again, and it's good, goes back to using your network as well. And it shows why networking is so important. And especially with you as well, you started off with someone you knew. So it's always great exactly. to start by starting with those you know and then branching out. For sure. And your early investors are usually helping you 
introduce and getting you networked with future investors too. So that so that's once you um, can go over that hurdle of that kind of first series seed investor, oftentimes you'll be able to get intros to other investors there on there on the line. So how did you actually feel away about giving away part of your company at first? Was that something hard to let go of or were you all for it? Uh, how I kind of look at it is like, you know, if you own 100% of a grape or is it better to own, you know, 50% of a watermelon? And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think about it like that, you know, the 50% of the watermelon is bigger and tastier than uh, just one grape, 100% of one grape. So I I think of it as a bigger picture. Um, you know, you're you're being able to grow faster, grow quicker, maybe address a bigger market, and ultimately, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the end game, th- these investors are going to help you scale so that you can be more successful. It increases the likelihood of success. <laughs> I think that is a great way of putting it, and just so simple, so simple. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. So, what is the craziest gift that you've had to send out for someone like the wackiest question um what on earth but it works (laughs) yeah there's a couple that come to mind we uh you know we've sent out uh some pinatas custom pinatas that were full of stuff which was kind of a fun send i think uh we've sent out some like lego minifigures that look like the recipient's linkedin photo um that was pretty cool um you know oftentimes they're tied to maybe the recipient's interests too like if someone uh if uh, someone's tweeting about having a dog or something and then the sender sends out maybe a cute dog toy that really resonates well with that recipient so oftentimes it's maybe not the item by itself but it's how do you uh, connect that item to the recipient or connect the messaging from your company to the recipient um, and that can uh, oftentimes lead to better success uh, even being kind of funny or, or using puns and mm. crafting a nice handwritten note can even be a big part of like what the item is and how that is received has there been one that's like stuck out as being the most inventive that you sort of saw and went this person has absolutely nailed it with this gift like this is going to work there was one where we sent out a bottle of wine or a bunch of them uh, and they had a lock on it with a combo code. And so you mm. can kind of see the wine. You kind of want to open it, but you can't open it unless you get this combo code. And so it's and a good reason to, to, you had to contact the yeah. salesperson to get the combo code. So I think that's kind of fun. Or there is another scenario where someone sent one of the uh, prospects a lockbox and another one a key. And it was like, hey, get together. But And then part of their company was how do you build uh, – like alignment between different departments and stuff. So it like the messaging really resonated with the solution that the company uh, that was sending it offered. So um, yeah, I think we've seen a lot of stuff. One of the things that I'm surprised that does so well is sending socks. We send tons of socks, probably (laughs) tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of socks. Um, You can never have enough socks. Yeah, I guess that's it. You know, (laughs) it's like another pair of socks is good for whatever reason. People love socks. It's, and you always lose them, don't you? I know, so, I know, exactly. <laughs> another pair's never going to hurt. Exactly. It just even like some of the examples that people are just incredibly creative, and I bet that gives you some incredible ideas as a company as well, because you're seeing yeah. other people marketing ideas. For sure. I mean, really, what we've tried to 
we've tried to do is make it so that sales and marketers and customer success and even uh, HR and recruiter teams can really uh, leverage their own creativity. And then we can help on all the painful manual tasks around sourcing the items from tons of different vendors and packing boxes and all that stuff that's no fun or takes no creativity. Um, so I think as, an, uh, as a platform, we've really helped enable people to get more creative and, and get out of their comfort zone of maybe just sending a few emails and making a few cold yeah. calls. But now they could really think what would be something cool and a, a really experiential wow thing that um, you could send to help engage with prospects or customers or employees. And then, you know, we can help execute on all the moving parts behind the scenes. Because this doesn't even have to be from the aspect of, um, say a service provider trying to get a client on board. This could just be someone sending off for a job application, for example. For sure. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of recruiters that use it to engage with uh, candidates. We have a lot. I mean, right now a lot of companies have you know remote employees, and they're looking at how do they engage remote employees better um, all across the board. See, I think that's another really interesting thing as well, and especially with job applications because. Mm-hmm there are thousands of applicants for every single job. And so, and most of the time people think just a, a cover note and a CV will do the trick, send it off. Oh, let's hope for a response. But if you're able to create this compelling scenario and send off something that's memorable, the chances of you getting a response are so much higher because not many people at all are going to go down that route. Totally. Yeah. I think that's, uh, we are the receiving end of that, especially if you're applying for Sendo. So the, the likelihood of you getting a response from us is so much higher when you send us something. Um, it's because of the fact of what we do. So we, uh, we love seeing the creativity of applicants coming in. For sure. And that's, that's everything. People are just lacking creativity nowadays with this thing. Because yeah, I, mean, I think creativity will be a big, Oh, I was gonna say, I think creativity is gonna be a big differentiator as we go into the future, where mm. you know there's a, a, you know millions of products and services out there, and it feels like there's competitors for everything. But if you can be more creative, um, that's something that's you know hard to copycat, so to speak. So, do you have any? I mean, I'm throwing this at you, and you might not know, but are there any like statistics around sending physical products and how they are better over sending a, just a cold email or giving a cold call, for example? Yeah, so for sure. We have a bunch on our website. Um, I, you know, I don't want to name a stat and get it quite wrong, but if the listener is interested, we have a whole like stat section of our website that's really interesting to check out. Um, and I think that I'm not advocating for pure direct mail. I think email is still really good. We still really use email, but it's all about being at the right channel at the right place with like the right message. And so, you know, in order to be, you know, anywhere, you kind of have to be everywhere these days. Um, so it's how do you use uh, email and direct mail and gifts and phone calls and social all together, all kind of at a, at scale and, and really personalize it. So, so do you have any like do you have any companies that you look at and think, cool, they are doing this outreach method just correctly? That some a company that everyone will know that they can look out and just take good examples from, for example. Um, I mean, we list a few on our website. There's probably some other ones that I think are doing really cool, but like. Uh, you know, candidly, I'm not allowed to speak with them, speak about it mm. until I get like approval, um, yeah. so to speak. But, um, you know, we've got a ton of case studies on our website of, of companies that we've reached out to that do cool things. And then we've, uh, you know, highlighted that in like a case study or a success story or even a video. 
Um, so I love that. I actually do a lot of customer road shows where I just go and listen to what customers are up to. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated by all the creative ways people are using our platform and all the results they're driving. And I think it obviously, because it's such a rarity nowadays that people are going out and doing this sort of thing, well, it's obviously catching on because you've been able to build an incredible business from it. But if you're able to take snippets from these extremely successful companies that are doing it very well, don't copy exactly as such, because if you copy exactly, then you don't know what might happen. Something that works for them might not work for you. And that's okay because you've then worked that out because you failed and then you can adapt. But just trying to stick out from the rest because especially in certain industries, some industries are so far behind. Mm-hmm. I work, I work in, so my day jobs in insurance. Insurance is an extremely, extremely old fashioned industry. Mm-hmm. Something like this to onboard a client in insurance would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think, especially in the certain lines of business. So obviously like the personal lines of insurance with bigger companies, I think sending corporate gifts would be incredible. I mean, the classic because it's we work I work in the city is all these companies that you go around to give out umbrellas because as you know full well in England it rains all the time so the fact that if they can yep. get out an umbrella with their brand logo on it brand awareness is a great way of doing it and so the first thing you do when you go to someone is can I have an umbrella please and they but they've <laughs> just got this massive umbrella cupboard so that's an example of where insurance do use it but I think they yeah. could definitely adapt into this broader aspect and really start thinking about this sort of client outreach exactly ideas are flowing I can't, <laughs> I'm all over the place so one thing i do like to talk about in all my episodes is what are your two biggest failures in your journey so far if you've got more you can happily share more the more failures you've got the better because we don't hear enough about failures i say this time and time again social media nowadays is simply a highlight reel people aren't sharing their failures they're too scared to show their failures because they are scared not i wouldn't say not necessarily scared but scared of being judged let's say because no one wants to see your failures on social media but personally as someone who's interested in this sort of things i do this whole highlight real aspect of things isn't the real picture of your journey and it only shows where you are today and not what you've had to go through to get to that point so this is why i like asking my guests about their failures so if you wouldn't mind sharing what you believe your biggest failures in your journey so far yeah i mean it's a great question to how do i kind of position as like failures i I mean thinking back you know i think one of the, the one of the i guess failures is like hiring hiring is is a hard thing when you scale and so i think there's been failures around hiring on both sides of the equation so there's failures around like not hiring enough people uh, soon enough which you know you think uh for example we had a lot of early we, we proved product market fit pretty early and so we really um how do we you know uh, hire salespeople quickly um, and there was one time where we hired too many salespeople too quickly without thinking about the other ramifications of uh, the SDRs bringing in leads, the marketing qualified leads, the success team to back it up. So there was, you know, it's this like super interconnected engine. And when you just throw like 10 salespeople at it at once, it kind of breaks the engine slightly. So, you know, I, I, you know, if you look on a spreadsheet, that seems like it makes sense. You just throw 10 heads at it and this happens. So I think that was a failure in terms of just like hiring too many salespeople too quick 
um, instead of maybe hiring in smaller batches and making them successful uh, quicker. Yeah. So what uh, are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about hiring then? So for those people that are out there that are starting to hire, for example, or they are scaling quickly and going to need to hire a bunch of people, what were the key, some of the key bits of advice you would give these individuals? Yeah, so I would say uh, one advice is uh, like hire very, very early uh, someone that's a really strong like COO or someone that can really complement kind of operations. Um, uh, you know, I, I'd say a lot of founders um, maybe are product or engineering or maybe go to market focus, but having a really strong kind of COO who can be kind of like a jack of all trades, but also very purposeful in terms of how they think about the operations of the business. That would be something that we did and I'm so thankful for. Um, You know, I think uh, back channeling is key. You know, you find someone you meet at a, uh, it's kind of an obvious one, but I think sometimes you're blindsided by this perfect candidate. Um, they come in maybe from a reference from somebody uh, that is like a friend of a reference and maybe not like a colleague. Um, and so you're like, oh yeah, perfect. This is a g- good hire. Um, and so we had one hire where we didn't really do a good back channel professionally and that person didn't end up working out well. Um, you know, so I think that if you have adequate back channeling, even in the early days, it really helps. Um, sure. And that's not as much as like asking for a reference. Uh, it's more like how can you do your kind of behind the scenes work to figure out, you know, who they've worked for in the past and how do you know them and how can you reach out? So um, I think those are the kind of the key things um, yeah. that I've seen. So when you were starting out, were you not scared about letting go of certain bits of the business? Because with it being your company, you're going to put, strictly speaking because it's your business you're going to put far more effort into certain processes than someone you would hire that's the norm because people working for you at the end of the day yes it's their job but it's not their company so how did you feel about letting certain processes go when you knew for a fact that they weren't going to be completed to the same standard you would have done it yourself yeah so i actually kind of think the opposite i think that I can hire smarter people than me that can do the job better than me because they are going to be dedicated just to that task. And in the early days, I was so excited about every person I hire because, you know, in the early days I was doing 20 things. I was onboarding customers. I was doing some engineering stuff. I was doing some product stuff. I was doing some finance stuff. And so when I could hire a dedicated finance person that was smarter than me in finance, I knew they were going to do a job 10 times better than me and have the resources to do that. So I am a huge believer in in hiring smarter people and then delegating quick and letting and letting go day zero. And as yeah. soon as you can kind of get out of that mindset of like I need to be on, I need to have my hand on everything. I need to uh, touch everything that happens. I think the quicker you'll realize that you can grow a team of really smart people and that you are not a bottleneck anymore and that you are an enabler and that you are helping people now. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think hiring people early on that were, it was keys to our early success with, without me trying to kind of do everything. And I think that's a great outlook to have because I think, especially with some of the founders I've spoken to, that's somewhere where they've actually found that they've struggled because with certain aspects of the businesses that they ran, they felt that they could do the things much better. So they were scared. That is, it was the part they specialized in, but they were overloaded in the work, but they still did it. Mm-hmm. So they still felt 
if they felt it was hard to let go of it because it wasn't going to be completed at the same level but i think having the mindset you do and the fact that you can actually hire people that are better than you and because they're solely focusing on it the task is going to be completed to a much higher standard is the mindset you need to have going into hiring individuals because exactly now look now look at you you've been able to grow this team an incredible team to hundreds of people now and it's clearly working yeah. <laughs> it's clearly working so I think, yeah, great first failure to mention um, in the aspects of hiring. So is there anything else that specifically stood out for you, failure-wise? I mean, I would say like a failure that was uh, close to me before in like another journey, which was probably about five years ago, I was employee one at a company. So I was very early on. I was basically the founders. So there's just me, me and two other engineers. I'm a part of the founding team. And I think a failure there was I worked like, 18 hour days every day and mm. I really learned from that failure that I uh, I now try to give myself a proper work-life balance knowing that this isn't a sprint but it's a marathon and I yeah. could be work I could be building Sendoso for decades to come but if I burn myself out and I come across as a, a CEO that works 18 hour days and uh, that's going to rub off on the company culture and the community that we're building inside of Sendoso um, so I, I advocate towards a good life balance uh, take vacations. You know, we have a we have a bonus mm-hmm. where if you take a trip, we actually give you a paid bonus. So we try to push it to the extreme of like get out there, have fun with your family. You know, work. Uh, I think that if we have people working here for five, ten, twenty years, that's a win. Better than just like in three years hiring a million people and growing big, 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 and then crashing. So that was a failure that I. You know, I think oftentimes people think that when you're starting a company, you have to spend a million hours a day and you can't sleep and you can't do anything on weekends. And I think it's uh, if you work smart and you balance yourself, you know, you'll be in it for the long run. For sure. And I think that's also a really good point, because especially with social media, you've got these certain influencers out there now that do sort of push that hustle and grind mentality and if if you work hard enough it is going to happen and you've got to put everything into it all hours of the day because if you really want it you've really got to do it but as you say other aspects of your life will suffer if that happens you've got to look after yourself first because without yourself there will be nothing for sure and I think that you know if you have a, a a nice family environment at home you can create a happier person for yourself that then you know shows off to the employees and you can have you know really productive work days if you spend the time to work out and be healthy you know that's going to contribute back to your you know your brain power and your you know your just your energy at work so it's all a big flywheel and you got to make sure that you're focused on everything in this picture not just working you know 18 hour days because you know you'll always have an infinite to-do list i mean i never am at inbox zero i'm never at to-do list zero but you just have to know that it's okay and that tomorrow you're going to come back in and you're going to crush it again and you're going to hire other people that are going to keep crushing it and you're just going to keep on going i love that great Great point. And that is the bulk of the episode today, but I do finish all my episodes with a final five. Catchy, I know. Alliteration. Um, (laughs) So the first question on the final five is, who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Um, 
You know, I would say like a, an early uh, mentor of mine back in the college, my college days uh, was this uh, gentleman and entrepreneur named uh, Chris, Chris Friedland. Um, okay. So that was someone who early on I thought was very successful and gave me some early inspiration. Why did you look at him that way? Was there anything about him in particular that stood out? Um, you know, I just uh, went to the same university um, and I was able to meet with him a bunch of times. And so it's kind of that, that firsthand experience yeah. in the trenches talking to somebody like that. I think it's, you know, you could see people like in Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos. I'm sure they're successful, but it's like they're, you're pretty far disconnected from those types of folks. So, yeah. you know. I think people that you can actually see firsthand that have grown huge, you know, businesses uh, was very inspirational to me. No, good. I like that. What is the best investment you've ever made? So that can be money, time, energy, or simply an Amazon purchase. (laughs) Best investment. Um, I would actually say my, my golden doodle uh, dog. I am like, uh, I get so much fun from just, uh, she comes in the office with uh, me every day. She's been with the company for a few years. So the amount of smiles that she gives everyone at the company and then just me on the weekends and evenings um, has been amazing. That's a brilliant one. That's probably one of the be- my, the most likable <laughs> ones I've had to that question. So thank you for that. Because I suppose yeah. that's, both, as you say, it's, it's influences both yourself at home mm-hmm. and the rest of your company at yeah. work because who doesn't like a dog running around the office exactly Distra- distraction but a good distraction <laughs> exactly <laughs> so do you have a quote that you live your life by or think of often um one that comes to mind um is really i would say like uh Entrepre- I, I think how it goes like entrepreneurs live a few years of their life like most people won't so they can live the rest of their life like most people can't yeah um i like that quote because i think it kind of encompasses that you're willing to kind of you know do what you got to do um but it's it's for the long term so yeah I, I like that quote i like that one as well i see that on instagram quite a yeah, few times i think it's a yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, there's another one that I had on a poster when I was in college. It was like, if you think the sky is the limit, you have limited imagination. Uh, yeah. Which I thought that was kind of a, a creative one that I like too. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So question number four. All right. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Jeez, um, I mean, I guess uh, maybe, maybe jump uh, i i think my I, i'm i'm like extremely happy with where i'm at now i don't think i would say change my path at all so oh, yeah, maybe just like keep doing what you're doing and it'll all be good yeah uh, <laughs> so yeah, i don't yeah. know it's uh i mean I, I think if it was another 20 year old person um i mean i i think early on like when i was in my 20s i got inspired by other some other entrepreneurs and i like uh in college, I guess that would be like right in college, you know, I would say like, you know, use internships wisely, you know, start, try to start maybe a, if, if it is a software business, try to start it while you're in college. You kind of, when you're 20, you have, I think a little bit more resources and freedom. Um, and so, you know, kind of fail early, fail fast, figure yeah. out what, what doesn't work or what works um, and kind of 
do that early instead of waiting till you're too it's too late for sure because when you're 20 you have no real commitments exactly yep it's unlikely that you're going to have a house it's unlikely that i say unlikely because some people do it's unlikely you're going to have a family or you live at home you're like you've got no real expenses so when is there a better time to fail because effectively you've got nothing to lose yeah i even took a student loan out while in college to try to get a business going just because i was like might as well take the risk i can pay it off later and it was like the perfect time to think about taking risks because like you said i didn't really have any commitments and i could you know fail fast and i'd still be fine so so was that loan for the business that did actually work out and then you sold Funny enough, it was actually when I didn't. So there was, uh, there's been a couple failures of ideas across the way. That one was uh, one that I invested and didn't, couldn't get the product off the ground um, for the software product. But uh, you know, I think everything's a, a learning experience in itself. So for sure, and that's also why I like talking about these sort of things because it's taken a failure for you to end up succeeding. Like you haven't gone in with your first business and absolutely nailed it you have failed at a business oh yeah lost for money sure. yeah and consequently learn so mm-hmm. within the future investments you actually make it's gone much better for you exactly awesome final question of the day and it's a morbid question to end off the episode <laughs> so i do apologize but All i right, get some seriously interesting answers and it's are you afraid of dying um no, I don't know. Is there any particular reason why just no comes to mind straight away? If you've thought about it before, or do you just pretty content with what you've achieved? And if it were to happen, or you uh, think I guess I probably just haven't really thought about it. Yeah, fair uh, enough. It's not really on on my to do list to, to think about it. I think <laughs> I'm pretty, uh, you know. So I, really, I guess I just haven't really thought about it. Um, no, so. I mean that's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people yeah. have. Some- some people have had some seriously deep answers to that question. Yeah. So I just sort of throw it out there on a whim and seeing what people come back, come back with. But it's good. Like you don't have to, why would you need to think about it if it's not? On yeah. Your I got other things to think about. <laughs> More important things, I imagine. Exactly. So that is all I have for you today. And thank you for answering all my questions. But where can my listeners follow up with you if they've got any questions or they want to reach out to you with regards to your service? So what are your social channels, email, whatever, website? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, so sendosa.com, if you want to see more about what we're up to over here, you could email me. That's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S, at sendoso.com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn and add me. Um, Twitter, at Rudy Grop, which is my last name. Um, so yeah, anything like that, or uh, maybe write me a note and send me a, a handwritten letter or something. Something exciting. Order something from his exactly. website and send it to him personally. Do it. Exactly. Awesome. And I will leave those in the show notes below. So listeners, don't worry about remembering those. Simply scroll down and you'll see them in the show notes. So Chris, thank you again for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals because it has been an absolute blast. Thank you very much. You got it. Thanks, Ethan. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. 
I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.